Jesus said that you are the salt of the world, you are the light of the world, possibly one of the most profound statements our Lord ever made regarding our duty in the world. Salt, at least in the Sermon on the Mount, is generally negative, if you will, to keep things from going foul, but salt is a flavor that seasons believers' conduct in this world. We are, as believers at Grace Church of the Valley, to be salt in a decaying world. We also know that Jesus said we are to be light in a dark world. Light is the promotion of good works that are attractive, good works that are winsome, a life that is holy, that is committed to the truth of God's word. I want to encourage you just for a few moments to take your Bible and look over to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to come really to one verse in verse 14 that we didn't finish last week, so I won't be long here as I think we have nine that will be baptized, but we always like to highlight baptism always through the teaching of the Word of God because it's the Word of God that gives expression to everything that we do. You remember in Ephesians 5, 8 through 14, or if you're brand new here this day and maybe a family member or a guest of the baptism, we're discussing what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 8, where he says, but now you are light in the Lord to walk as children of light. He told us that we're to be light in the world. In fact, Jesus said when he was ministering on earth in John 8, 12, that he is the light of the world. And Jesus said that the one who follows me will not walk in darkness. So he's the light. He said in John 9, 5, he said, while I am in the world... I am the light of the world. And you know that's one of those great statements that he made. Later in John chapter 12, he said a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. While you have the light, Jesus said, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. I have come as a light in the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. But certainly our Lord knew that one day he would be taken out of the world and he said here in Ephesians, certainly in the Sermon on the Mount, that you are the light of the world. And the principle would be that God is light and we as his family are children of light. The implication of our Lord certainly is this, that while I am here, I am the light of the world, but when I go, you are the light of the world. Now, I think we know enough that you're not the main light. Jesus is the light. The light does not originate with you. We are the light of the world because of our relationship to him who himself is the light of the world. And because God is light... And we are partakers of that divine nature. The light that is in Christ is now, through union with him, light in you. In fact, Woodrow Wilson, old president, told the story of being in a barber shop one time. He said, I was sitting in a 
barber chair when I became aware that a powerful personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly upon an errand as myself to have his hair cut and sat in the chair next to me. Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service. He said, because D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was in the chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he had left and noted the singular effect that his visit had, had, had brought upon the barbershop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew something had elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. I mean, that's influence. That's being light in the world. Now, we come to this section here where Paul is revealing five transforming truths to walk in the light. And I'll be brief here. He gave a command. You used to be in the darkness. One time were, were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. And so he begins this ideal of walking in the light that you have been transformed in your conversion, that you once were this, and now you're this. But then secondly, he revealed a transforming command in verse 9. He said to walk as children of light. Light, light causes growth. Light here exposes darkness. You're to walk in essence in the totality of Scripture in obedience to his command. So that man or woman that was converted from darkness to light is now a man or woman commanded to walk in the light. But then thirdly, he began to explain that by giving a transforming conduct. The question would be asked, how do you know you're walking in the light? Well, he mentions that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. He said that light bears fruit, and it's found, and the text says, in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Here's the conduct that marks a man or woman who's in Christ. Far from being on cruise control, far from walking an aisle praying a prayer, far from some kind of dedication at a camp, though that may be useful, here's a man or woman whose conduct is shaped by the scripture, who's producing fruit, if you will, that here it's not the fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of light, and that fruit is goodness, and we mentioned that last week. It's righteousness, not the righteousness of Christ there, but righteous deeds that conform to the standard of godliness and truth. So rather than lying in chapter 4, you're speaking the truth to one another. That's the conduct. And then we looked at the fourth principle to enable us to walk in the light where he said a transforming charge. Look at it in verse 11. We'll pick it up there. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. In other words, he said don't participate with them. They're deeds of darkness. They're unfruitful. They're barren, if you will. But the believer has a charge here to expose them. In other words, that kind of sin, look back in chapter 5, in verse 5, says at the end there, um, to, to not even let those things be named among you, okay? 
And then he said, don't let anybody deceive you. And he said in verse 7, therefore do not be partakers with them. He said it's shameful in verse 12 even to speak of these things. So he said, as a believer, you've been given a charge that rather than being silenced in the world we live in, you've been given a charge to expose the darkness. And we mentioned that you do that both by your words, speaking truth to people, and by your witness, by your lifestyle. So we said, if we're going to really obey this, we can't ignore sin, nor can you turn a blind eye to people that are close to you, nor can you not confront someone in gentleness who needs a word of rebuke to restore them to the faith. So he uses, does our Lord, our words and our witness, which is our lifestyle. And then we come to this last charge. I just call it a transforming challenge. It's fascinating to me. Look at verse 14. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It's a fascinating text. Usually when you see that little phrase there in verse 14, when it says, therefore, it says, the writer of Scripture is quoting something out of the Old Testament, out of the New Testament. What's difficult about this is this phrasing in verse 14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, is kind of difficult to pinpoint where exactly that comes from. Some people say it comes from Isaiah 26. Other people say it's an expression of Jonah 1.6. But I really believe it's going to come out of the book of Isaiah primarily. And I say primarily because it's not exactly word for word, but Paul counted it as authoritative. Sometimes when the New Testament writers were quoting the Old Testament, they always didn't quote them exactly because they were adding, if you will, their interpretation to it through the means of the Spirit of God. Now the question in verse 14, and put your thinking cap with me, uh, on with me, is who is it exactly addressed to? I mean, that's a massive question. There's volumes, pages on this. Is Paul getting to verse 14 in this charge to enable you to walk in the light? And is he giving a call to evangelism? In other words, as you live out those principles, what you have, some would say, in verse 14, is an evangelistic call. I mean, that could be true today, I suppose. Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So they say that what you have in verse 14 is a call to unbelievers. It's a call that goes out through our life, as you speak to people, as you talk with them, as you witness to them, both in word and witness, it's an evangelistic call. And you can see that those words even some way convey our former condition described in terms of sleep, which is death, described in terms of darkness from which Christ saves us. Or secondly, maybe some would say that what you have here is just the closing argument of the Apostle Paul, and it's a charge to you. 
And it's a charge to you to remember what Christ has done for you. You once were darkness, now you're light in the Lord. And so what he's doing is he's reminding you from where you've come from so that you could read it this way. Verse 14, awake, don't forget what he did. You once slept in darkness, but now you're alive. He regenerated your heart. And he's caused you to be raised with him spiritually back in chapter 2. In other words, you were dead, but he's brought you to the newness of life. He raised you and he puts you in the spirit, in in the heavenlies, if you will. And he's already shown on you. So it's a reminder to you. Or thirdly... And, I, and you say, well, Scott, what, what do you mean? You're giving us options. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. And maybe that was Paul's point. Thirdly, this could be a very direct statement to you. To you who claim the truth, but find yourself slipping back into sin, so that verse 14 functions as an exhortation to those of you who know the truth, but aren't living in the truth. And certainly that must be part of what he's talking about here. You say, well, why do I say that? Well, if you look back in chapter 5, he speaks there in verse 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. And possibly it was being named among them. It was one of the most vile cities, Ephesus, that our world has ever known. If you think our country is going down quickly, I'd agree with you, but just open the history books for Ephesus. And somehow, and in some measure, Paul comes and says, listen, you can't let those sins even be named among you. They're not even proper, if you will. And then he says in 5.4, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, meaning that there was filthy talk and crude joking. He says, you can't do that. Out of your mouth ought to come thanksgiving and so forth. In fact, he would say there in verse 7 in chapter 5, therefore don't be a partaker with them. In other words, it's possible very possible, you could see maybe the angst of my voice that I really feel that's a charge to you. That it's both a remembrance to you for what he's done, but a reminder to walk as children of light. Now, you say, well, what does he refer to in verse 14? I think, I believe it's best that he's referring to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. And there in the context, it's of Israel's confession. And I think that will come up. Arise. See the similar language. Shine. For your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. Very similar in metaphor. Thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you. And the glory will be seen upon you, speaking of the coming of Christ, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so here that is fulfilled in Christ 
coming to the earth. You've received this light from Christ. Therefore, you are now light of the world. So I think what Paul's saying here is it's a charge, I think, to us. Both to remember what he's done, but a charge to wake up. You and you alone are the light of the world. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. But if the salt comes tasteless, it becomes useless. So I think what Paul is saying in that third category is wake up and rise from the dead. Christ has indeed saved you out of the darkness into the light of Christ. And so I believe this is an exhortation as it was in 5.8 to walk as children of light. I think what he's saying to us, beloved, is take no part in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Put on the new self. Continue to put on the new self and Christ will strengthen you and Christ will shine upon you. He has already shown his light upon you in salvation. Now let your light shine. And so he says, awake, O sleeper. Be on the alert. Be on the alert and get up, wake up, get up. Don't fall back into sin. Here's why I think he's saying that. Look at the next verse. I think this is a strong exhortation in the book of 1 Thessalonians, okay? 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's what he's saying to us. And by the way, it's, this is where I am, but this is all depicted in baptism, isn't it? He says, but you, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, the thief that the Lord would come as a thief in the night. For you are all children of light, children of the day. He said, we're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night or drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live for him. Let me just ask you, are you living as light in this world? Are you not participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness? Is there something distinguishing about you and your speech or is your speech filled with what was spoken of in 5-4? I think he's telling us, if you will, in that third example to wake up and get up and to walk with Christ. I think he's speaking here at least to the church at Ephesus and maybe by the Spirit of God to you, to those who are spiritually lazy And in this context, some maybe have participated in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. In fact, it says this in Romans 13, 12. Look at this. The night is far gone, speaking metaphorically, right? You've come to the light. The day is at hand. He saved you. So then let us, here's the exhortation, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly, 
exhorting us in the daytime. And then he says there, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's how we're to walk. We're to shine. We're to be the light. You know what's fascinating about this in all the scholars that I was reading? Most say that verse 14 became a hymn for the early church at Easter. And some say that this verse 14, probably out of Isaiah 60, was what they used to sing regarding a baptismal service. See, in just a moment, we're going to have people who go down in the water, who die to their old life, and rise you know, out of the water to their new life. That's the thought here. And so listen, you say, well, Scott, what is it? Is it, a, is it an evangelistic call? It might be. If you're here this morning and you're caught up and bound in darkness, the Lord Jesus Christ is the light. He's the one who is light in himself, and he's the one that gives that light out through his death, burial, and resurrection. And so you need to heed that call. For some of you, you need to look back and certainly remember what he's done for you, all the things that he's done to transform you in conversion. And then thirdly, maybe there's some of you who just need this exhortation because you, though you claim the light, you're participating in the sins that we've spoken of in the last week, and you're being utterly duplicitous to what you name and what you claim by how you live, and how you live is hurting the cause of Jesus Christ. So listen, I, I, maybe Paul didn't specifically narrow it down. Maybe all three of those are in a, in a sense true. No wonder Paul said it this way, and we're going to pray in just a moment, when he said, do not present your members, Romans 6.13, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness." In other words, before we got saved, we did whatever we wanted, in essence, with our body. He says, but now that you're saved, you ought to present yourself as an instrument for righteousness. He, he would say, and you know this one in Romans 6 too, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So I think Paul is saying, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. In fact, there's this scripture in the book of Romans. It's talking about baptism, but it's talking about spiritual baptism. So when I read this verse to you, there's no water in this verse in Romans 6.4. It's depicting spiritual baptism, but obviously water baptism reveals that. But it says in 6.4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in the newness of life. What a privilege that the Lord's given to us 
to save us out of how we once lived, to rise us and cause us to walk in the newness of life. And I think that's the essence as children of the light, walk in the light. So here's a challenge to all who might be in here. And a true believer will respond. A true believer will bear spiritual fruit. Not to perfection, but will bear that goodness, righteousness, and truth. So listen, here's a transforming conversion. Here's a transforming command. Here's our transforming conduct. Then there's a charge given to us to not participate with their sin. And finally, this morning, a challenge that we would walk with the truth that we know to be true and not be duplicitous in our lifestyle. Well, listen, we have the wonderful privilege to have some baptisms here. And you know that there's nothing magical about the water. Baptism is a symbol. It's, a, it's an external symbol of a reality that God has done in the heart. It is these believers, if you will, dying to the old life, rising to the new life because they've been genuinely converted. Hey, do me a favor. I, I think there's nine. Why don't you pick one of them by name, write them down somewhere on a piece of paper, and be committed to, to praying for them. Because as you know and I know, we don't take this in a, in a fast and loose way. Our world is descending into darkness by the week, by the day. And what we're doing here is celebrating those who have genuinely come to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed Him as Lord and Savior, believed that He raised Him on the third day, and so God has marvelously saved them. So they're looking back at what He's done.